Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So good to see you. Glad to have you with us, especially if you're a guest. So glad to have you worshiping with us this weekend. Well, we are in a series uh, on Galatians. We've been looking through the book of Galatians. And man, there are just so many different ways that you could preach through a book of the Bible. Uh, but what we've decided to do this time is we've pulled out the main themes, uh, the most famous passages from Galatians, and we've looked at each one uh, over the series. And so if you've missed any of it, or if you're new here for the first time, it is all on our app or online, because as we've said, series build upon the part that comes before it. And so we started out and we talked about you're dead to me. So that's a kind of a rare title for the book of Galatians, but it was probably a little less rare than the who's your daddy. That was week two. So if you missed that one, then uh, last week was what you growing. And so we've had a lot of fun with titles. If nothing else, the titles have been cool. And so uh, we're going to do part four today. Um, I came down recently up from upstairs and, and found my children watching uh, they, they found some old shows on Hulu, and, and they were watching America's Funniest Videos. Come on, isn't that crazy? And I'm thinking, is that show still? Because they weren't watching reruns. And I'm like, are they still making this show? They are still making this show. Matter of fact, I just found, they just renewed that show. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? Have people not heard of the internet by now and YouTube? But, but they, they're still making the show. And the, uh, all it does to me is just prove that I'm really a part of the greatest generation. I mean... Come on, any other 80s kids in here? I mean, the whole world is dressing like the 80s now. My kids are watching the shows I grew up watching. So there you go. That's just the way it is. Anyway, so the reason they like the show, though, is they like watching people do stupid stuff. I mean, we all do, don't we? But what we really like is we like watching stupid people do stupid stuff. And we just don't say that. But that's what we're thinking, you know? And uh, But if they thought about turning on the video. They may not be as stupid as we think they are. They just uh, do it anyway. My favorite watch stupid people do stupid stuff show is America's Dumbest Criminals. Anybody else with me on this one? I watched an episode where the guy robbed a store on his lunch break in his uniform with his name tag on. True story. So, you know, the police, when they hear that, they, they look at the tape, they're like, surely he got that shirt at Goodwill. There's not a chance, but just to rule out the lead so we can move on with the investigation, they drove from the convenience store to that place where the guy supposedly worked and asked for a guy with that name. And sure enough, the guy in the video was there. He had gone back to work and had all the stuff in his car. Like, seriously, dude. And clearly he didn't steal enough because, I mean, he should have at least taken the second half of the day off, don't you think, you know? I mean, that's pretty bad. Oh, man, I stole so little, I've literally got to go back to work after my lunch break. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. And we all think, what an idiot, because we are not as big of idiots as he is. We would be better criminals than he would, right? I mean, okay, we're in church, and you're not supposed to steal, so we wouldn't do this. But if we did, I mean, the Bible says you shall not steal, so you're not going to do it. But it doesn't say you can't imagine stealing better than that guy. So let's just imagine for a minute, if I were stealing, I would not be wearing a Grace Life t-shirt with Jimmy on the, you know, because I just know for a fact I would be a better criminal than he is. 
What we're going to look at today in, in this book of Galatians is how they started thinking they were better than other people, right? And we've all got people around us that we think we're better than sometimes. And I'm just going to go ahead and confess and get mine out of the way, and, and you can deal with your own. But the, the number one time that I think I am better than everyone around me is when I'm driving. And if you've driven around Columbia and you see no problem with it, you're one of the people I think I'm better than. <laughs> and if you're equally frustrated, well, then you might be on my level and we can get together and have coffee. But see, the problem is I'm a chess player, and so I drive like chess. And if you're a, a good chess player, you know what you're going to do three moves ahead. That's, that's the only way that you win. You, you, you're not making it up as you go. You, you've got a strategy and you're figuring this thing out. I drive the same way because I know where I'm going before the car has even started. So I know where the right turns are, I know where the left turns are, I know exactly what I should be doing. I'm one of those people that is coming to a stop sign, and it's like a quarter mile away, and I'm already looking to my left to see if I can go, because if nothing's coming, stop signs are really yield signs. <laughs> I, just, I just looked at a good friend of mine who's a sheriff's deputy, so I'm going to turn this direction for the rest of the story. And what drives me crazy is when somebody actually comes up to a stop sign and it's like the first time it occurred to them they were going to have to make a decision. The car comes to a full stop. It rolls back a little. And then they think. And I'm behind them just ready to kill somebody. I'm like, I just lost three seconds of my life. And by the time you figure out where the gas pedal is, I'm going to be a minute closer to heaven. I could have accomplished something, right? So anyway, this is what we're looking at today is because there is always somebody around us that's an idiot because we're better than them. And you just fill in the blank for whatever reason it is you think it is, uh, but it's not a new problem. It's not something that we invented recently. Matter of fact, the Galatians were dealing with it. The truth is they didn't invent it. It's been going on for a really long time. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to chapter 5. We're going to be in the same section of the Bible we were in last week. And uh, we're, we're going to pick it up in the same verse that we started last week. And I'll tell you the reason for that here in just a second. So if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen right here. And, and here's what he said. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And then if you notice the three dots there, the ellipses, it means we didn't finish the verse. And so last week, we, we put that on the screen, and then we skipped a couple of sentences and went on. Because it turns out that he's talking about two things, and we couldn't do them both in one week. We did one last week, we're going to do the other one this week. But when he's talking about this word flesh, what he's talking about is our ordinary human desires. Before we become God followers and, and make Jesus our king, we, we have ordinary human desires. We have things we want and the way we want them. And so he's saying that, look, the ordinary desires that we have, they're going to be in contrast. And he puts them in contrast to two things. He makes two big comparisons. And one of them is talking about the comparison to those who are followers of, of the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God is going to lead us in a different direction from our ordinary human desires. And he went through a list of some things. But before he got through that list of those things, because we, we looked at that last week, talking about those, he, he took another moment to say that the flesh, the ordinary human desires, is also opposed to love. And he simply compares it to love. We skipped this part again because we, we, we separated them by weeks. But here's how this verse really goes. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've been following along in this series or if you've read the book at home, I've recommended you read it anytime during this series. It's only six little chapters. It'd take you less than 20 minutes if you sat down and tried to read it straight through. And you've, if you've been doing that or you've been here and listening, you've come across this word law over and over and over. And we've talked about how the whole point of this is that you're not going to be saved by following the law. No one can follow rules perfectly and good enough to be perfectly holy like our perfectly holy God. That we're saved by faith in Jesus. His death paid for our sins because we're we're never going to be sinless. It's just not even possible. And so that's what this whole law thing was about. And if you've been here, you think, good, we're done talking about the law. Why did he bring it back up? Why did he literally say the whole law is fulfilled in this? Well, it actually comes down to Jesus. it, It always does in church, doesn't it? But when Jesus was preaching, somebody asked him one time, he said, look, what's the greatest commandment? And, and, and you got to think about that for a minute, because as we're reading this book now in 2019, as we're wrapping up this year, and, and this whole, the law keeps showing up and everything, you really just, you feel like it's, it's, man, I just don't understand that. It's so irrelevant. But this is how big a deal it was to them. Jesus, he heals somebody. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Jesus raises somebody from the dead. And this one guy made it all the way to the front, and he manages to get right to Jesus, and he doesn't say, will you bring my grandmother back? He doesn't say, will you heal my mother? I mean, he is looking at the Messiah. He's got one chance, he's got one question, and it is, which rule is the most important? And that seems funny until you realize that's how serious this was to them. Because they understood these rules, the law, it's overwhelming. I mean, we have all the ones you gave us through Moses, and then we've got the hundreds that our Jewish leaders have added to it, and I just feel so bad and inferior, I'll never get them right, so please just tell me what matters most. That's how important this was. I mean, imagine living like that. Somebody say, thank God for Jesus, seriously. Like, I mean, imagine living like that. And so, anyway, here's the point. Jesus' answer was this. He said, look, the most important thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which is what you think, what you want, and what you feel. If you love the Lord your God with what you think and what you want and what you feel, always God first in that, then, then you're going to be good. And oh, by the way, a second one is, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. He asked for one. He asked for one. He said, what is the most important? Oh, exactly. I told you what it is. But the problem is the second one is equally important. You see, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And also, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And against this, there is nothing. That's why Paul says the whole law is fulfilled. Look, you don't need another rule ever. If you love God with everything you want, think, and feel, and you love everybody else as much as you do yourself, you don't need a rule that says don't steal. Why would you steal? You'd only buy stealing from you, so you'd never steal from somebody else. But you, you don't need that rule of honor someone that you'd want everybody to honor you. You'd automatically honor them. You don't need a rule that says have no other God before God, because if you love him with all of your wants and your thoughts and, and, and your feelings, then you, you don't need to be told that. And so that's why he says, look, the entire law is fulfilled and just love the person beside you as much as you love yourself because everything else is already wrapped up. To Matter of fact, in just a minute when we finish reading, he's going to call this the law of Christ. That's what he's actually going to equate it to. He's like, do you remember what Jesus said? It's the law of Christ. 
So even though we are exempt from following the law to get to heaven, that's what he means by it, and it's so important. And the, the reason that he's, he's saying all this is because uh, people are misunderstanding. And if you were here last week, we read this list, right? So right now we're talking about our ordinary human desires. They're opposed to love one another. But last week, you talked about how our ordinary human desires are opposed to the work of the Spirit inside of us, right? Everybody with us? And so if you were here, it really didn't start off all that fun. But it's not my fault. I was just reading the Bible. But he started off this list of our ordinary human desires, and he just jumps right in with sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. And you go, oh, my God, why did I come to church? That's, a, that's scary stuff, you know? Nobody wants to talk about that. And because of that, those are the kinds of times where we just turn the page and we don't really read that, right? I don't want to read that section. Somewhere in here it says, God is love. Where is that chapter? I want to read that. You know, I want feel-good stuff when I read the Bible. Come on, Jimmy, when I come to church, I want you to tell me that encouraging stuff. And so sometimes we misunderstand, or here's a better word, we miscategorize a list like that. So let me, if you were here last week, let me, let me reframe it. There were 15 things on that list. We read through and we, we made sure we understood, understood 15 different things that come out of our ordinary human nature. And because the list started with that ugly word, sexual immorality, it, it made you think the whole list is about that kind of stuff. The truth is, more than half of the list that we looked at last week has nothing to do with your morality. It has to do with your selfishness and putting yourself in front of your neighbor. And then he gave us the solution. He said, you know the solution to not following your ordinary human desires? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And did you know, we said there were nine of those, right? Did you know that more than half of those are not something that you do by yourself in your own private life, but it's only revealed in how you treat other people? It turns out this is a much bigger deal than we realize. All the time we read the Bible, we think it's all about those do not, do not kind of rules and all of those kind of things. And, you know, but there's so much in here about love and what is expected of us when we look at each other. So we ended the passage last week with verse 25 right here on the screen. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And we went off and we had lunch. But Paul didn't stop there. It wasn't even the end of his paragraph. He, he kept going, and his very next sentence after saying that is, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another, because you can only push each other's buttons and want what the other one has if you're conceited about who you are. You either deserve better, or you have better, or whatever. And then as he goes to his next sentence, and he starts to close the letter, for us it becomes chapter 6. He didn't have chapters and numbers. He didn't put those in there. Those were done way longer after that. But as he goes into close, he changes his tone. You, you've heard me do it. I'll start off really excited and loud, and as I get towards the end and about to pray for you, I talk a little softer and gentler. And, and he's done the same thing. As he goes into chapter 6, he, he changes his tone because I, I've told you Galatians was his edgiest and, and most confrontational language of all of his letters. He was really upset with them and saying, Who has bewitched you? That was chapter 3. It's a cool phrase. I just love doing that. But he kind of becomes very gentle and very soft, and he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, by the way, so that you don't become tempted. And look, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and love your neighbors yourself. You just bear one another's burdens and so uh, first thing I want to point out here is if, if they put that first verse back up there, it started with brothers, is you don't need that word. J just look at that. You could start with if. He could have just said, because he's been strong all along. 
And he just said, look, don't become conceited. Don't provoke one another. And if one of you is caught in sin, one of you should restore the other. He could have done that. But he, he changed his tone and he said, brothers. And, and the Greek word here, by the way, is not just for men. It's Adelphoi, and it represents all of the brotherhood and sisterhood. So some of your Bibles actually translate it this way, and you should and can translate it this way, say brothers and sisters. And so what he's trying to say is, we're family. Stop treating each other this way. Come on, you've become so divided and you've put one above the other and one against the other and you think you're better than that person and look. And so I love what he does. Actually, virtually every uh, scholar on this says that Paul became very sarcastic at this point because it, he doesn't actually tell them which one is more spiritual. It, he, he challenges everybody and he's answering a very, very real question at this point which is how do you get sinners to worship together again? When people become arrogant and divided, how do you bring them back together? And so instead of him saying, look, this group, you were the right one. You, you, you got it. So you're the mature ones. Please help restore these people over here. He didn't do that. He just said, so brothers, in order to soften their hearts, hey, you're together on this. So whichever ones of you think you're, spiritually mature you should take on the responsibility to restore them and, and so everybody over here is going to go oh well we're the mature ones we'll help you and everybody over here is going to be like eh, we're the mature ones and we'll help you and so he, he puts the challenge to get rid of the divisions and bring everybody back together on all of them because they were so divided they they had developed into at least three major groups at this point and just again, let me real quickly give you the history. Galatia is a Roman province, and it's full of pagans. It is not full of Jews. It is not full of people who know uh, the Old Testament. That, that's not who they were. Paul goes there. He tells them about Jesus. They turn from pagan religions, and, and they start following Jesus. Paul goes away, and some Jews come behind and say, sorry to tell you, the Jesus thing won't get you into heaven. You need to become Jews because we're God's people, right? So here's what happened. They divided. And so one group is saying, man, are we, we're saved by faith in Jesus? Like, my sins are forgiven? Like, yesterday is forgiven? Today is forgiven? And tomorrow's forgiven? I mean, I'm still going to sin and get away with it? Cool! Hey, why don't y'all come on with me? We're going to have a good time Friday night. Y'all come Look, we're saved by Jesus. And there's a whole group of those people. And then there was a whole other group that looked at them and said, you foolish sinners, we're going to be the holy ones. We're, we're going to follow these Jewish rules and we're going to become God's favorite. And, and so we're better than you. And then there had to be at least one. I hope there's at least one. Every Sunday when I preach, I'm hoping, God, please let there be one. I'm just kidding. Y'all are awesome. But there had to be at least one who still heard Paul and went, both of you are crazy. Jesus died for us. And, and so, yes, we are forgiven, but now we choose to do right things in, as worship and as love for him. You, don't go doing that stuff and don't go following those rules. But there were at least three groups. And actually, it was worse than that because Galatia wasn't one church. Galatia was an entire Roman province, and Paul started multiple churches. And this letter went to all of those churches. So not only does every church have three groups of people pointing at the other saying, we're better than you, we're better than you, we didn't do what you did, that whole sort of thing. Go down the road and that church is saying, we're better than them because we don't have as many people who did that. And then there's another church, hey Paul, look at us, we're better than both of those churches because we got it right. Our doctrine is better, our music is better, our building is prettier. Does that sound like anything you guys know? <laughs> yeah. It didn't end back then, did it? 
And we're so divided and we're pointing fingers at each other thinking we're better than everyone else. So for us, only one thing matters. And it's what he was trying to help them understand. How you treat others reveals how you see yourself. How you treat others reveals how you see yourself. So I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, when I do, I, I'm always ahead in my, my planning. I'm always trying to do outlines. I just think big picture. And so I, I, I'd done the outline for this before I started the series. And I'd looked over some of the verses and kind of saw what he's talking about. Hey, don't be conceited. Don't provoke one another and all of this. And, you know, I, I've preached out of Galatians before. So I, I kind of knew what, what he's talking about division and arrogance and so forth. And, and so my notes originally said how you treat others reveals how you see others. And I'd written down some points I was going to help us understand how to see people for who God created them to be and to see them differently. And by the way, that is an absolutely great message, and we'll have to preach that sometime. But what Paul is actually talking about right here is that you, you, you treat people by how you compare them to you, by what you think of yourself. It is your opinion of yourself that changes what you do with them. Because, see, the point is, nothing matters outside of comparison. Any statement is irrelevant outside of comparison. If I were to look at Kent and say, Kent, you got gray hair. It's an irrelevant statement. Unless by that I mean I don't have gray hair, so I'm better than you because I'm younger. You know, I mean, that would be what that statement would mean. It's the only, outside of comparison to ourselves, no statement means anything. Walk up to somebody and say, hey, you're white means nothing. You're black. means nothing. You're not from America. means nothing. You're poor. means nothing. You're rich. means nothing. Until you compare it. You're poor, and I'm not. Apparently, I did better in school than you did. See, in, until we put something in comparison, then no other even observation becomes any. It's not even relevant until you start to compare it to something. And what do we compare it to? We compare it to ourselves. It is our opinion of ourselves that determines how we treat other people. And so Paul said something. He's actually, this has been a theme all throughout the book. And so I've saved it for last because it's such a strong topic. But way back in chapter 3, he said a very famous passage. Some of you have heard before. It's been used by politicians. It's been used in debates. Uh, it's, and it's been taken out of context almost every single time. And here's what he said. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. And then this is the sentence that is famous. It's misquoted and it's misunderstood. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And people have taken this to say there are no longer differences that actually exist. But the, that, that's not what that means. Because the, the truth is, if you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman. And those differences do exist, and they are God-ordained. And that, that's not what that means. In the same way that some slaves, and by the way, a slave at this time, was mostly an indentured servant. It was somebody who got themselves into trouble debt-wise, and they had to promise away their freedom and work for someone to pay off that debt. The other people that were slaves at that time were people who had been conquered by the Roman government. So those were the two groups. Paul is not saying, oh, well, then just walk away and tell your master, tough luck, buddy. You and I are both Jesus followers, so I don't have to work for you anymore. I get to steal what I told you I'd pay back. Matter of fact, Paul in other letters says, look, Stay exactly where you are. If you're a master, be a good one. If you're a slave, be a good one. And win people to Jesus by what you do. So people have misunderstood this passage all along. So let me help you understand what he's saying here when he says, look, we're all followers of Jesus. 
When we come in here to worship, we don't see the ones who are the boss and ones who are the employee, because that really would be our modern-day master-slave mentality. He says, we don't see the men as being superior, because they did. It was a male-dominated society, so if they were a man, they, a man, they thought they were better. They, they, they saw divisions when they walked into the room to worship because they always thought something was better. The ones who had become Jews thought, well, we've become Jews, and you guys are still pagans, which is what they meant by the, the word Greek. And the reason Paul is saying this is very, very simple. A little bit earlier, he had said, look, there will always be those who love God. And there will always be those who hate God. And therefore, there will always be those who hate us because we love God. And that's bad enough. We live in a divided world. World, the world has been divided since the beginning of humanity. Those who love God, those who seek after him, are hated by those who hate him, and it will never change. And then to make that worse, if it's not bad enough that everywhere we go, somebody hates us, we come in here and hate each other. And that's why he wrote that. He said, you're all brothers in Christ. Are you kidding me? Are you going to come in here and look down at your slave and say, you go sit in the back? I'm going to tell you the truth. I grew up here in South Carolina, and there are a lot of sins in South Carolina's history. The church I grew up, uh, as teenagers, we used to like to sit in the balcony. And, and our balcony was built for the slaves. The masters got the first floor. The slaves got the top floor. Are you kidding me? Did they not preach Galatians back when that church was built? I guess not. They missed a point. It is our opinion of ourselves that determines how we treat others. And uh, it shows in, in the simplest things to the biggest things. So I'm going to... I'll confess another sin for you and tell you a story, but this, it's, it's Kent's sin. I'm going to confess. <laughs> so I have to let y'all know, Kent sinned this week. I did too. I was with him. But you're not surprised by that, which is I'm something I'm going to cry about later because you guys aren't surprised if I tell you I sinned this week, but you're surprised if I tell you he sinned this week. And, and, and it is true. We actually did. We both did. But, it, but it's kind of funny. You see, we just did exactly what I talked about. Because we were talking about how to preach a certain verse in a staff meeting, and uh, we made a joke about how we would preach it better because our theology is right <laughs> than that other theological viewpoint. Like, they're not quite right. And we're better because, well, we've got the truer doctrine. And as funny as that is, I just turned to him and said, oh man, you know what we just did? We just became a sermon illustration because that's what I'm preaching on Sunday. We just did what I'm preaching on Sunday, which is to find a reason to think we're better than someone else. And yes, some of the time, it's half-hearted joking. But unfortunately, it's not always half-hearted joking. Here's a question for you. When you see someone less fortunate than you, do you feel compassion for them and generosity toward them? Especially this time of the year, it's not uncommon to pull up to a stop sign and someone is there holding a sign written on cardboard. And some of us, we, we want to roll down our window and give them everything in our wallets. Some of us, we don't. And if not, it may not always be, but it, it could be because you look at them and think, you're there, it's kind of your fault. I mean, you made those choices, you did that. And what we're implying is, and I didn't, which means you could have done better. You could have been more like me, but you weren't. So it's kind of your own fault you're standing out there in the rain with cardboard signs. So I, I'm not real worried about you. 
and we, we go one way or the other. Because some of us, well, we've been there. And so that's why we understand what those people are feeling. How quick are you to serve? See, some of us, if we're not quick to serve, it could be because, well, we think we deserve to be served. We've kind of developed a different place of what we think of ourselves. I'd ask this question. Do you think judgmental thoughts toward people who do stupid stuff? We'd all like to say, of course not. But you do know the number one thing Christians are known for in our country, right? Being judgmental. I'm not saying we all are. And I hope that we're all trying not to be. But you can't get a reputation that big unless some of it had proven true at some point. You see, again, it's all about how we see ourselves determines how we treat others. And you know how many Christians see themselves? Well, we're the good ones. It's just like the Jews back in Galatia. We go to church every Sunday and I read my Bible. I try to follow God. Oh, look at that sinner. I just can't believe they'd do something like that. It's so funny because I grew up here in the Bible Belt. I'm, I'm real used to somebody looking at somebody and they're going, I just can't believe they'd do that. Really? I can. They've never made Jesus their king. What's it, why in the world do you think an ordinary human would act like anything other than an ordinary human? That's what Paul's been talking about the whole time. The expectation is for believers to act differently. There's no expectation for somebody who has yet to make God their God to actually follow his ways of life. No, what? Are you kidding me? We shouldn't look down at them and go, oh, I can't believe it. We should look down and go, I used to be you. And thank you, Jesus, that you've changed me. You see, we should never have any reason to, to get judgmental because we know we're not saved by what we did. You, you didn't save yourself by your goodness and the number of times you came here. You, you got saved by the death of Jesus 2,000 years before you were born. You, you didn't do it. And so that shouldn't give us any reason to look at somebody else who's doing something that maybe you've learned not to do and think you're better because of it. How polite are you to someone that you're paying to do something? Yeah, you waiters in the room, waitresses. I mean, come on, you can tell stories all day long, couldn't you? I mean, if you're sitting there and you're asking for butter with your bread, do you say, uh, hey, would you mind getting me some butter, please? That would be so great, thank you. When they show back up with the butter, you say, oh, thank you so much, that was really kind. I'm one of the, I have to ask for butter all the time because I believe the only purpose of bread is to hold the butter to your mouth. Anyway, back to the point. Or are you one of those people that just goes, Bring some butter with the bread. Hey, I saw you go to that other table first. Where's my butter? My bread's getting cold. Why aren't you? And we think, because, well, I'm the paying customer. I deserve to put you beneath me. And it's revealed by how I treat you because of my opinion of myself. When I came to Columbia to be a part of starting this church, I had to do a little bit of work on the side uh, when, when the church just not off the ground yet you, you don't exactly have a salary so uh, one of the things they ended up doing was a little bit of construction work and so I had this really strange boss this guy that I, I'd met when I moved here and he asked if I wanted to come and work minimum wage and do a few weird little odd jobs for him and so I'd, I'd go to work and he'd say would you mind doing that for me I'd go do that and come back and he'd say thank you so much hey, hey would you mind doing that for me 
I'd go do that and come back and he'd say, well, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, hey, would you mind? And after about three days of that, I just went, Simon, dude, I work for you. You are my boss. You do not have to ask if I would mind. I mean, we're, that's pretty well established by the fact I showed up today. Why are you being so polite? And he just said, just because I'm your boss doesn't give me right to be rude. See, here's the rule. That, that's cool, but that's not the secret. The secret is that he also was a pastor who came to Columbia to start a church. He just happened to be a contractor, so he got to be the boss. And I just happened to know how to use a hammer, so I got to be the employee. But what he knew when he looked at me was that someday we would stand side by side at a pastor's meeting, and we were the same. And that's what Paul is saying all along. Is one of you here the boss? Is one of you here the officer? Somebody else is your private? Is one of you here the, the one with the nicer house on the block and that person isn't? Is one of you here the one who didn't do that stupid thing that you just saw them do? Whatever you are, every one of us, just like my friend who knew, someday we will not be contractor and hammer guy. We will be pastor and pastor. Every single one of us someday will be brother and sister looking Jesus in the face. And we will feel very ashamed for the days that we look down and went, I'm better. And we'll be very ashamed for the days that we thought we were better simply because we were in this room and other people weren't. We'll feel very ashamed that we did not look at those who are yet to know Jesus and have our heart break with compassion. Same whether a father's heart breaks for them. How we treat people reveals what we think of ourselves. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you are so merciful toward us. We think of the attitudes that we have, the perspectives we have, the division that we've brought upon the earth for millennia. And yet in your mercy and your love, you reach out to every one of us. God, right now, we just want to repent to you. Each of us has our own reason and we have our own list of people, but for whatever reason, we, we have put ourselves above those people. We've thought better of ourselves than we did of them. And we're here to confess, God, that we've been arrogant. And we want to be more like you. We want to begin to look at every other person as brother and sister or those that you want to be brother and sister. That's, that's it. Those are the only ways to see people. So God, I pray that you would give us your heart and your eyes for everyone around us. That we would stop the division, the finger pointing, and the self-promotion. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. And the truth is, we are not perfect and our God is. And that creates the problem you can pay for your imperfections with your own blood and death because sin is paid for only with death or you can receive the free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus because he was perfect 
His death paid for our sins, not his own. And because he rose from the dead, he offers us eternal life. And it's a free gift. But every single one of us at some point in time has to look him in the eyes and say, thank you, I want that gift. And if you've never done that, I wanna help you do that this morning. You don't have to do anything weird. I'm just gonna lead you in a conversation with him right where you're seated. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.